double the miracles that we've seen in a while. It was, it, I mean, it was a, it was a, a it was a good month, <laughs> and you can tell I'm excited about it. But that's what we do. So when you send in a praise report, if there's a, a any, uh, you can do a praise report if there's any change in the condition. For instance, if you're praying for sickness, any change in the condition at all. Um, get it to us and we'll begin to uh, pray even so. We don't stop praying until we have breakthrough. Amen. So for any, any given thing. So I, I want, with that, I want to thank all my prayer warriors uh, for helping us out with that because we, we have more than, we have a whole team of prayer warriors that um, dedicate to that prayer. Um, I believe that we're coming into, that we're not coming into, we're living in a time where God wants to pour out miracles yes. upon his people. We believe in miracles here. Um, like I said before, I says, you know, we don't have the right. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick, cast out devils. We don't have a right to change the mandate just because we don't see what we want to see. Nobody has the authority to change the mandate. That is the mandate, regardless of what outcome we see. So we treat that as a, as a viable word, a current word uh, from the Lord to this church, and this is what we take seriously. And over the years, we have seen the miracles um, when I go overseas, I mean, we, we see different things over different times in life, so it's been, it's been fantastic. So I want to thank the Lord for that. Again, if you're watching by live stream and you need a healing, you have agreement here that God heals today. Amen. Himself bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. He sure did, just like he carried your sin, just like he carried anything else. We trust him with that. Praise the Lord. Amen. I got a message for you this morning. This is, this is, this is, this is good. <laughs> I was in prayer this week, and... What happened was Tuesday night, we get together and I, sometimes I answer questions for people. We have just a gathering. We don't do the live stream. We just do the gathering. And um, uh, we pray. And the past couple of weeks, we've getting together and just praying and uh, different things. Well, and we get to, to the praise reports. We have the prayer list and stuff. We pray over again uh, as we've been praying all week. And then we pray over, we get the praise reports. At the praise reports, we get on the music and we begin to give God praise. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done this week. Thank you for what you've done you know, this month or whatever. And that's kind of our Tuesday night. The Lord spoke to me earlier in the day on Tuesday, and he gave me a scripture. And uh, I was always doing, I stumbled in my notes, all of a sudden a scripture lit up some of my older notes. I said, yeah, I taught on that. And I just, I didn't think nothing of it. I came here on Tuesday night. I got up in, I have a big library in my office. You see all the books there and stuff like that. Uh, I'm rearranging it, and what I like to do, I'm kind of, I don't know what you call that, but I, in other words, my books are in alphabetical order, not according to title, but according to authors. <laughs> so I, I have a, an index sheet. I know I'm a nerd, but anyway, I have an index sheet to where I could find it. So it got mixed up when I was doing some work in there last year, and uh, so I'm, I'm going through it and I'm picking this up. I just happened to pick up this book. Uh, it's particularly not even a book I've read before. I know the author, but I just never went through and read a book before. I picked up the book, and I'm thumbing through it. All of a sudden, I see a light, a, a yellow highlighter, which I normally do. I highlight different things in the book that I want to remember when I read a book. I looked at it, and I said, I don't remember reading this book. Looked at the front of it, said, Look, and here was the scripture again. Psalms 103.7 is a scripture I'm going to go to. I kept seeing Psalms 103 all week. I believe this. If I was driving on a highway that was, that was uh, a hundred, uh, Route 103, the next exit would be seven miles. I mean, it was that kind of a, of, a, of a week I had with this thing. I got excited Tuesday night. 
Everybody stopped what they're doing. I said, come on, let's, let's pray. I said, God just showed me something. Didn't even then have all the pieces put together, but I got excited about what he showed. The Psalm 103.7, if you know anything about the 103rd Psalm, it's bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. It talks about uh, he sent his word to heal us. It sent, and then all of a sudden, verse 3 kind of stands out. And it says this, he made known his ways, okay, uh, and his, to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. I'll, say that, I'll read it again. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Two separate things, ways and acts. I went back to the Hebrew, and I looked these things up. And I looked at this, and I said, I says, wait a minute. Okay, ways in Hebrew means direction or course. The word acts in Hebrew means exploits and deeds. There are two levels of understanding. In other words, there's a distinction between these two things in the Scripture that I believe God is going to make known in the day and hour that we live in. Not only are we also going to see his acts, <clears throat> which you see, you pray, you see the response to prayer, that's recognizing his acts, right? But what I'm seeing is, do we understand his ways or the direction or the course? I believe that God, and here's the thing, there are two levels of relationship we see in, these, in this one verse. He showed his ways to Moses, but he showed his acts to everybody else. Consider it to say it that way. Amen? Now, this psalm is written by David. This is one of David's psalms, and he mentions he showed his acts to Israel. He also showed his acts to, to Egypt, if you remember the story. Only they didn't want to see his acts <laughs> because it was the ten plagues he poured out until he, they finally conceded to letting his people go, about two million of them, and they come across to, to the wilderness. So what happens from that point, Moses got the direction. So what is the difference between Moses understanding the way, direction, or course, and the exploits and deeds? The difference is the insights and relationship that we have with God. As we begin our journey with him, as we increase our relationship with him, we not only get to see all the thing, cool things that he does, okay, as acts, because some people, that's all they ever see of God. What he, can, what he can manifest physically, but from a spiritual connection to understand his ways, to understand his course or direction for life, that seems to be a mystery to some. And uh, I've, it's been in my life, there's been mystery, the times of mystery, Lord, what do I do here? And, it, and it's taken uh, great prayer and, 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 and sometimes fasting to get in and to get my mind and my heart set on what the Lord's about to do, and then he reveals it. Praise the Lord. So I want to share a little bit of that this morning around this, but I believe God is about to do something. Uh, there's a clear distinction between God's ways and his acts, a clear distinction. And the fact is what I've seen, and I notice this about Moses. Moses took the time to listen to the burning bush. And when he took the time to listen, God poured out on him something that seemed to be absolutely impossible. For one thing, you know the story of Moses. He was running from Egypt. Uh, he had killed an Egyptian. He was, a, he was a wanted murderer on the run, if you want to believe that. Uh, and he basically settled in another land, married um, Zipporah, his wife, and, and basically was uh, a, a sheep herder for his father-in-law, Jethro. Amen. Never planned on going back. All of a sudden, he's out tending the sheep, and all of, a sudden God, all of a sudden, God shows him a sign. 
And he looked at this bush that was on fire, you remember the story, and it doesn't consume, it just burns but doesn't consume. And he got looking at it and he got curious. Why would a bush be on fire? And then all of a sudden as he get, closes in and looks at it, he hears a voice. And God begins to speak to him. He took the time to listen. He didn't run away. He didn't say, the bush is haunted, I'm scared, I'm going away. No, he, he stood there and he listened. And the Lord gave him instructions. And I want you to go back to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell Pharaoh to release my firstborn. God considered Israel his firstborn. Amen? And if he says, if he does not release my firstborn, I will kill his. This is what God gives. So it's a mandate in judgment. It's a mandate of, of this is what had, the conditions that have to be met. Because Moses did that at great peril to himself. He went back, even knowing that he was a wanted man. He went back and he stood up before Pharaoh. And through that, through that act of obedience, God began to show his ways and his direction. Moses had insight on things that other people didn't have insight on. They saw the after effects and the results. But even that, he was even uh, pushed against by his own people, Israel, because Pharaoh just kept making the work tougher and tougher and tougher. The more uh, God poured out a plague, the tougher he made the work. So it came to after a while, Moses wasn't even a friend of his own people. But he didn't, it didn't matter. He had the ways. I'm going to say this this morning. The ways of God okay, is what changes life for good. And it doesn't matter what people say or think or, or anything else. It's just, I know God's ways. I know the direction he wants for me. I know what he wants. It doesn't matter what goes on around us. I'm going to set my mind to that course. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Well, anyway, they give you the title. I didn't give you the title of my message this morning, but the title of my message is Transitioning Towards Promise. I come up with this title. I could have said, you know, God wants to change you. <laughs> and probably nobody would have listened to my message this morning because, <laughs> you know, we're people. We hate change. Uh, we like things routine, we like things working well. When things change, we think disaster. But transition is different. I look through the Bible, and, and this is all through the Bible. I just picked out a, a couple of in, for instances there. But God is continually moving us to a greater promise. Did you know that? Whether you recognize it or not, it's what he's doing. He's moving us to a greater promise. As we spend more time, as we get into prayer, as we grow, uh, I guess we could say it that way. As we grow in the Lord, He begins to trust us with more. The more we grow, the more He trusts us with. Just like your children, you raise your children up. When they're small, you trust them with very little, if anything at all. But when they become teenagers and they become older, then what do you do? You give them a little more responsibility, don't you, parents? Hallelujah. Good, uh, good amens in the congregation this morning. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> anyway, as, as we get older, the Lord does the same thing with us. You know, it's possible for him, if he was to answer every prayer immediately when we pray, that it could do more harm to us than good. Did you know that? Case in point, I'll go back to the Bible. How about looking at the kings of Israel that all of a sudden inherited the throne and they made a disaster of a nation because they didn't handle the blessing or handle the riches that were given to them properly. Even Solomon, with all his wisdom, end up taking on other gods from other countries and different things as he married 700. What do you do with 700? Why? I don't know. Anyway, I don't want to think about it. Praise the Lord. Um, I got the same one I've had for 50 years. It seems to be fine. One is good. Uh, 700? No. Uh, that's, 
that's a straitjacket time as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, let me get back to my message. But it says, it says uh, God is continually, <laughs> continually moving us towards a promise. Praise the Lord. All right, what is a promise? Glad you asked. A promise is this, because Paul said in 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, he says, for all, all the promises, that's divine assurances of good, of God are yes, that's a strong affirmation, and in him, amen. That's a firm tw- trustworthiness. I mean, I did a study on this. Let me just go ahead and insert this because I mentioned the word amen. We pray, we pray at the end of the prayer, what do we say? Amen. amen. Uh, somebody says something we really like in, in church and we don't say, hey, way to go. We say, amen. We put amen at the end of every sentence uh, that we think is, is, deserves an amen. But do we really know what it means? Some people think, well, it's just the end of a sentence. No, the word amen has a particular meaning, and this is what it means. It means firmness or trustworthiness is a yielding to a co-laboring partnership role. I'll say that again. In the Hebrew, it means firm or trustworthy, but in actuality, what it means, it is yielding to a co-laboring partnership role. When God says such and such, and we say, amen, we're on board. We're going forth. That's, that's part of us now. So when we say a prayer and we say, amen, that's our role. We're, we're in a partnership role with God. Answer prayer. And that's what amen means. All right, praise the Lord. So I just want to clear that up. But Paul said, he said, all the promises of God are yes and amen. When I entitled this, I said, we're moving towards the promises. Some people think they have the promise. Amen. And I'm going to get into some of that this morning. Uh, you have an account, but maybe not possession. Uh, praise well, we'll get into that in the morning. I noticed this in the Bible. Go back to Genesis and you find out that, that God gave Adam the entire world. Did he or did he not? Yes. He says, I'll be God in heaven. Whatever the world, animals are named, you name it. Everything that happens here is under your authority and belongs to you. He gave him the entire world, but he started him in a garden. The test was the garden. The test for lordship over the world, over the physical plant that we now live in, the testing proving ground was in a small garden, not in the whole, whole world. Amen? It was a part where three rivers came together. They figured it was in the Middle East, but the, that was, it was only one little section of the entire world. Hmm. I remember David, David, one of my favorite stories, David and the giant killer. How many know God made David a giant killer? Was that his occupation? No. Before David faced off the giant, God gave him another opportunity to take on the bear and the lion. The bear and the lion was the proving grounds for the giant. It wasn't the ability of his aim that God was interested in. It was the protective nature in his heart. He took out the giant because the giant was oppressing the entire nation of Israel. He took out the lion and the bear because the lion and the bear were about to eat his sheep. Everything David killed was in a protective nature, but God stood him with a bear and a lion, which is still a pretty good start. (laughs) I'm concerned. I mean, they give you a slingshot and a lion's charging you? I don't know. Hand me a rifle. <laughs> That's why I'm thinking, you know. And uh, I'll, I'll give you the caliber, <laughs> the load, and everything else, but I want a rifle. But no, he had a slingshot. But God's, that was a starting point. 
I was praying about this, and God showed me this. He said, what about Gideon? What about Gideon? He said, this is kind of like a preparation in reverse. Gideon was given 32,000 troops to come against the enemy and to set his people free. And God reduced it to 300. God said the starting point was 32,000. Because with the numbers, it was very well possible with those numbers, even though they were still outnumbered 400 to 1, something like that, with 32,000, Gideon said, I can, with that many troops, I can do something with that. I can do something with that. So God says, well, then I'll reduce it. The 32,000 that Gideon looked at was a preparation for a greater promise. I'm going to give you less men and do more with less men than you will do with the 32,000 because I'm going to be with you. The advancement in Gideon was a reduction in troops. Wouldn't we think the other way? (laughs) Uh, uh, More troops. We only got 32,000. If you can give me 32,000 more, I will say, oh, yeah, we're good there. But God was not going to have Gideon take the glory for what he's about to do. So the, the, the big, the big th- uh, thing that he had to go through was, now I'm going to reduce your uh, troops, and with 300 men, you're going to take on these five armies that are uh, oppressing the people with my help. God has a unique way of putting us in the middle of what he wants to accomplish that it's impossible for us to accomplish without his help without his strength. So I'm going over some of these things. These are some of the things I'm thinking about all week. And I, I said, I, I was still, I said, this, this is going to look like a patchwork quilt. But then God began to put the things together. And even this morning, I'm looking over some of the stuff that I'm, I'm going to preach this morning. And then he, it, it came, all of a sudden, things started coming together. All right, we're moving towards a, 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 a transitioning towards a greater promise. We're moving towards, towards promise that God is going to give us better. We're always looking. God has, God has more. We haven't, let's see if I get the language of this. We haven't begun to see the glory of God and what he has promised, what he is able to give us. We haven't even begun. At the same note, I see sometimes we, don't, we even lack the hunger to see more. I think we, we've, what we need to do first is work on our hunger for the things of God so we can be in position that God wants us to be in. I got looking over this. Anyway, so, so Psalms 103, 7 uh, just kept coming up, come, coming up and coming up as we're looking at this thing. And then all of a sudden, God began to unfold. I took it a little bit further. David was talking about Israel. He's talking about Moses in that Psalm. And I remembered about the Israelites. So we just took communion. I remember I shared communion came from the Passover. The Passover was recognition that God is freedom from Egypt. Um, And they were never to go back with Egypt. They were never to do business with Egypt again, though some of the kings had broken that uh, uh, word and uh, did that. But God didn't take them from Egypt and stick them in the promise, did he? No, they went through the wilderness. They went through the wilderness section. And this is the, the, the cause. The wilderness became the proving ground, if you will, or the start for the promise. In the wilderness, they never got a hold of his ways. They only got a hold of his acts. But, the, but when they begin to murmur against God, they were failing the test. In so much that he had to wait for the next generation to come up that would take it and move it on. So I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about the wilderness. And then I remember what happened next. Pharaoh got angry again after they left. 
and he armed his troops with his chariots, and he chased after Israel. Bad thing to do to chase after and try to do harm to what God has already blessed. Not a good idea. We see it through history. Not a good idea to curse what God has blessed, any way you look at it. So they chased him, and of course, with their backs up against the Red Sea, um, Moses sitting there seeing the dust cloud, and the pillar of fire and smoke that they were following, that was the presence of God, began to position itself. Not in front of Israel, but behind. And position himself between Pharaoh, army, and the Israelites, and blocked Pharaoh's army from coming any closer. Moses said, Lord, what should we do? He says, what's that in your hand? He said, it's a rod. He said, stretch it forth. And when he stretched it forth and he hit the Red Sea, the sea split. And the Israelis went across. And as the Egyptians began to follow through that, listen to me, the world cannot follow what God has parted. But when they tried to follow, God swallowed them up into the enemy for good, and they remained on the other side of the bank. The Red Sea was still water. Paul says about the Red Sea, he says in 1 in, um, in Corinthians chapter 10, he says, all pass through the sea. And this is what he says. Now, this is a New Testament word. This is not an Old Testament word. But he uses the word baptized in Moses. All of them passed through the sea were baptized. The word baptism is a Greek word. It's the word baptismo, which simply means to immerse. Paul acquainted going through the Red Sea with a wall of water on both sides. Nobody got wet. But with a wall of water passing through as a future example of what water baptism would be. It was still water that the, the nation of Israel was immersed in, and then they come up on the other side. When they came up on the other side, guess what? They were a restored nation. If they remain on the wrong side of the Red Sea, they would not be a restored nation, they would be a destroyed nation. There was no way they could have physically by themselves taken on the nation of Israel. But when God made a way where there doesn't seem to be any way, when he parted the sea and passed them over, they enjoyed something on the other sh side of the shore that they never would have gotten on the previous side. Are, are, you, are you following that? That's very plain and very, very clear to see. It happened again. The proving ground, as Israel went through the, the waters, the proving ground was, was the wilderness. Of course, we know what happened there. It was kind of disastrous when Moses sent out the 12 spies into the command of God. Ten of them came back with a bad report, and only Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report. Amen? So Joshua and Caleb had to endure the next uh, death of the next generation until they finally came into the promise. When that happened, there was another body of water and another splitting incidence. When Joshua looked over, listen to what happens. When Joshua looked over, he stood on the opposite shore of the Jordan River, now a flowing body of water, not a standing body of water, a flowing body of water. He's standing on this shore looking over. God begins to speak to me. He says, every male child must be circumcised. It, the circumcision was lost. Can you imagine that in the Jewish people? The circumcision was lost up in the time of Joshua. And he was commanded to give every male child circumcision. When we're baptized, if I was to open up our baptistry here and baptize somebody, we would, I would give you the scripture and I would tell you what that is. It's what Paul calls circumcision, a heart. 
So this too, as he's crossing the Jordan, God splits the Jordan River. They walk across on dry ground. But this time, Joshua is mandated that everybody will pick up a rock. One representative for all the 12 tribes lined the splitting water in front of the water. And before they left, as they filed out the river began to close behind them, and what they were carrying with them was a rock. We have um, this uh, tile fancy thing up here that we put kind of represented. There's 12, 12 stones representing what Joshua brought over. He's now in the promised land. What happened? They were the prelude to the promise, to God's promise, was here in, in, in the wilderness. Well, in the wilderness, uh, God provided manna. The clothes didn't wear out. The clothes grew with them. They had all their provisions. They had everything but the completion of the promise. Are you, are you following me? They went through the waters of baptism. What they had on this shore is now, they're on this shore, and they had better what was on that shore. This shore was death for sure. Now they passed through the, through the water. What Paul calls baptism of Moses came up on the other side. Now they've got a new life in front of them. There's no more enemy out to kill them. They've got their life back. They were going to die over here, but now they're going to live over here. Are you, are you following me? Now they've got their life back. What do they do? They murmured and complained. This became impossible. We can't take on the land full of giants. We'll do this, I don't know, back and forth, back and forth. So when that generation stayed there, God said, I'm not going to bring. Moses pleaded for their life. I was about ready to wipe them out. He said, no, he, says, he said, okay. He said, but I'll tell you right now, this generation will not see the promise that I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the land I promised. So when that generation died off, Joshua was made the leader. Moses didn't even get to see because he struck the rock twice instead of once, and that's a whole other story. But the fact is, is Joshua's sitting there now, and he's looking. And God says, circumcise all your, all your men. Make sure they're circumcised before you go over. Out of the waters of baptism is a circumcision of heart, Paul says, it's what he calls water baptism. Now they're going through, and from a standing water was the first baptism. Now the second baptism is a flowing water. Amen. Can anybody look in the scriptures and understand what a flowing water is, a baptism? God was given back then, he was given a type and he was given a prophecy of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's the only flowing baptism I know of. Amen. If I was to open up our baptistry right now and fill up with water, it'd just be standing water. It'd be still water. You come up a new person, but it's still standing water. But then the second work of baptism, we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, comes upon you. That's a flowing river. Matter of fact, the Bible says this, out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water. Living water. That's what comes out of us when we begin to speak under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Are we good so far? <laughs> Don't get stuck in all the name. But, but this is what God was doing. He was showing then. So you see, when Moses was revealed the ways of God, and Israel only saw the acts, Joshua picked up the second. Now Joshua was able to see, David could have wrote the same thing about Joshua, able to see the ways of God because now that's the ways of the Lord is what led him onto another shore. They crossed the Jordan River. 
as they're crossing, they're picking up that one stone from each tribe and they're crowning it over the 12 stones. They arrange them in an altar on the other side. Why? They mark the spot to where everything now changes. Are you here? They, so that was for future generations, never forget. What they got on this side of the shore, they couldn't get on the other shore. What they got on this new shore with all this, with a pile of stones and with the new promise, they're looking uh, at the promised land that God would promise way back to Abraham, generations before. They're looking at this promise. They couldn't get that over there. Amen? We can't get what God has for us over there when he's telling us to be over here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen? And he uses the symbol of baptism to bring that point of cross. So now, if we say the Joshua generation goes through a new baptism, a flowing baptism, now we have the ways of, Mo of God that he revealed to Moses, not just the acts. So instead of following some kind of physical symbol, all of a sudden they step over into the promised land. Guess what stopped? No more manna. The manna ceased. There was no more manna. Just as they stepped over, the manna stopped. Just as they stepped over, the cloud dissipated. Here you are. In other words, God's advancement was this. Till the ground, plant the seed. Now you are given the opportunity to prosper. Not be cared for, but to prosper. Not to slave for somebody else, but to prosper. And God give them unlimited prosperity through the land, but they had to work the ground. Hmm. The greater promise brought greater challenges. The greater promise brought, but it, it elevated them to a place now they could produce. Are we okay so far? <laughs> Israel was given access to resources in a promise, uh, in a promise uh, to produce abundance. It's like this. Today, let's bring this up to today. I like cake. I don't eat a lot of cake because cake don't like me, but I like cake. It has an adverse effect around my middle, so I don't eat a whole lot of cake. But it's like all of a sudden, we don't have any food in the house, we don't have any cake. And I pray to God, I said, God, please bring me cake. Lay upon somebody's heart to give me cake. Moments later, I hear the doorbell ring. Now, this is fictitious, I'm making this, this is a story. I open the door, and lo and behold, staring there in front of me, is a sack of flour, a sack of sugar, uh, a baking soda, uh, a bunch of eggs. What else is in cake? I'm not a cook, so I don't, huh? Butter, 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 milk, it's all sitting there. And God says, there you are, there's your cake. I want to give you an example that you can, that you can understand, this is the promise. And we complain, like the wilderness people, because it isn't put together. They didn't only complain it wasn't put together. They complained they had to go out and pick it up. Manna was given for free. It was drawn from heaven every day. But they had to go pick it up, and they couldn't save it forward. You couldn't, you know, like I was asking Jennifer about the matzah, can you freeze it? No, you can't freeze it. You can't keep it. it you have to, about the next day, you have to walk out again, actually go pick it up and bring it back in, and they complained about that. The promise didn't even have that. The manna stopped. Say, there's the ground, there's the soil. 
This soil is supernatural soil. You put a seed in it, it'll grow a harvest that's beyond any harvest anybody else has seen. But you've got to till the ground. You've got to plant the seed. You've got to plant the harvest. I think that was a pretty good example. I like cake. So here's what I would do. I scap up all the products, all the things that make a cake. I would drag them in my house, put them in the kitchen, and say, Diane, <laughs> I don't cook, she does. <laughs> I said, here's our cake. All you have to do is put it together, mix the stuff up, you know, put this in, put that in, put it, and stick it in the oven, and voila, I got a cake. Take the icing and put it all over it, and guess what? Exactly what we prayed for, there it is. <laughs> Welcome to the ministry. <laughs> Welcome to the ministry. Praise the Lord. We come into the church the same way. We don't want to make anything. We want it all there for us. We want to see the acts of God right now, right today. The ways of God would have a purpose for you to come in and be part of the ingredients that God wants to put together corporately to put it across. That wasn't in my notes. I just did it in a free charge. Praise the Lord. Amen. How are we doing so far? Good. Here comes another piece of the patchwork quilt that I thought had nothing to do with it until I got studying. How many has ever studied about Hannah in the Bible? Hannah, the mother of, of Samuel? God brought me here because I want to give you just a short, short time I got left if I can get this out about prayer. Uh, let me go ahead and read. First Samuel chapter 1, uh, um, it, it talks about Samuel's birth. Of course, to talk about Samuel's birth, we've got to talk about Hannah. Talk about Hannah, we've got to talk about Hannah's husband, who is Elkanah, uh, and then, of course, the other woman, uh, which was the other uh, um, um, Penanai, who was the other wife of Elkanah. Back in the early days, um, um, a Jewish man was allowed to have more than one wife. Okay, so in Scripture, if you ever see that, the first name that's mentioned is the dominant. In other words, if a man has more than one wife, I don't know what Solomon did. That's a whole other story, 700. I don't know. But anyway, Elk and I had two wives. Because Hannah's mentioned first, Hannah's the dominant wife, and she runs the household. That's how it was back in the culture. So if you had more than one wife, the first wife was when it called the shots as far as the household was concerned, and she ran the household. But Hannah was tormented by this woman because Hannah had no children. And this is, I, I want to give this example because I believe there's something here for us to extract um, that's, 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 that's not very noteworthy. So Hannah was disturbed. She was very wrought. Uh, Elkanah loved Hannah. He says, matter of fact, when they would go to the, to the house of the Lord, he would make sure she had a double offering to give over Penea. So this is what she had. Uh, Penea had all the children, and she'd, she'd mock Hannah and make fun of her and so on and so forth. Finally, Hannah goes to the house of the Lord by herself, and she lays down, and she begins to weep and cry, and she cries out to the Lord. Now, understand something. God wanted to give her a child. We know that because he did. But it was when he decided to give her a child. Biologically, there's probably something there wrong. So biologically, uh, uh, God had to come in and heal something. When he fixed something, it was healed. 
scripturally they say God closed her womb, and this was a big fun of because basically back then it was a curse against a woman to be childless. She went to the Lord and she went into the house of the Lord. I love Hannah because she went to God's house to get an answer. Amen, Not to the, to, the, to the old wives. And she went to the house and she cried out. Eli is sitting there. He's the priest. And he's looking at this woman. And she's muttering something with her lips. You don't hear no sound coming. She's moving her lips like this. And she's going on. And he thinks she's drunk. He walks up. He says, he says why don't you put away the wine you know, and, and let God forgive you, and God will take care. And, and uh, she says, no, you don't understand. I'm not drunk. I'm in deep sorrow. She says, I asked the Lord to give me a child. I have no child. And I asked the Lord to give me a child. Eli does something unknowingly. It doesn't mention the script, but he says this. He says, go in peace. He says, God grant your prayer. What just happened? She went home. She went at home. And sure enough, she was pregnant. She had a child. She vowed this to the Lord. She said, if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. Ah, there's the key. Hannah's vow. She didn't want it for a possession so she would look good in front of the other woman uh, or, or for her husband. Her husband didn't care. He, says, he, says, he asked this question. He says, am I not better than you than 10 sons? Uh, question she never answered, by the way. <laughs> Smart woman. <laughs> so it wasn't the husband putting pressure on him. She said another thing. She said, if you give me a son, I'll make him a Nazarite. I'll give a Nazarite covenant. She doesn't have the power to make a Nazarite covenant. According to Numbers chapter 30, the husband has to agree. Otherwise, there is no Nazarite covenant as with Samson. The husband agreed. So she already knew she had the agreement of her husband. I'll make a Nazarite, I'll make a Nazarite. No wine will touch his lips, no razor will touch his head. Talk about prophet. But what happened here? In her persistent prayer, in a desire, she tapped into God's desire at the same time. God wanted a prophet, Hannah wanted a son. When Hannah's prayer came in line with God's desire for a prophet over the nation, he put the two of them together, and didn't, he never stopped there. Because when she had Samuel, when he was weaned, she wouldn't even go back to the house of the Lord until he was weaned, and she brought a gift back with her, and she took Samuel. Well, how old was Samuel? According to numbers, uh, according to the law, it was when he was weaned, Okay in the weaning in the law would have been anywhere from two to three years old. So two to three years old, she would have handed him back just a baby, I mean, just a youngster. I mean, hand it to Eli. Eli, did you ever see, did you ever read about Eli's kids? He is not the father image I'd look for, even though he was a priest. But no, she promises, I'll give him back to you. And she didn't. She'd give him back to him, she'd give him the gift, and she went home. Hannah bore five other children other than Samuel from that point. God got the prophet that he was trying to get out of Hannah. Hannah had to bring it. Everything lined up, the genealogy. Samuel became the 15th judge over Israel, the last judge of Israel. He also a priest, and he also became a prophet. This prophet inaugurated two kings over all of Israel that goes all the way back to the promise that God gave to Abraham about kings that he would give to them. Do you see what had to come in alignment? 
But when Hannah's persistent prayer all of a sudden began to meet God's persistent desire for Hannah, the two of them came together and all of a sudden it clicked. And God didn't stop there. It wasn't just Samuel and, okay, the agreement's off or the agreement's done. It's all been fulfilled. No, no, no. It wouldn't be fulfilled until God blessed her again and again and again with two more daughters and five more, uh, two daughters and four sons, counting Samuel. And she was restored. The only reason she stopped having children is because she got too old. That's it. But she, she bore those children. Now, I said that because basically people, I hear this both ways from different camps, but uh, do we really need persistent prayers? I don't know, maybe it depends on what we're praying for. The Bible gives us examples of both persistent prayers and ask once and don't ask again. There's two different ways. How we use those prayers is something I'm going to be going over uh, in the church for our prayer team so you know what to do. If I'm praying for somebody, if I'm praying for something that I know God has already given me, for instance, healing over my body, I don't have to pray and ask for it, he's already given it to me. By Jesus' stripes, I receive Jesus, I receive healing. So I'll ask the Lord, I said, Lord, I have a problem here. I said, I claim right now in the name of Jesus the healing over my body. And then my next prayer from that until the manifestation comes in the natural, my next prayer is, thank you, Lord, for healing my body. Thank you, Lord, for healing my body. Thank you. So I pray once. If you want to call that a prayer, I call it sometimes a declaration uh, prayer. And then what happens, I keep praying again. So where is the persistent prayer? Because we see it both. I remember, I go back in the New Testament, Paul prayed three times for God to remove a thorn out of his flesh. That thorn of the flesh was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him, sent by Satan. So we see where Paul prayed three times before he got the answer. Finally, God gives the answer. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My, my empowering presence is enough to get rid of that thorn. Guess what? You didn't hear about the thorn no more. I'm taking this thing and putting it together. And what I'm seeing is sometimes we need persistent prayers. I'm, is this, I don't have enough time. This, uh, there's not enough time left to justify this teaching. There's another teaching. The persistent prayer is needed when we're pulling down strongholds or when we're trying to get ourselves in alignment with what God wants to do. I see. Nothing wrong with Hannah, but when she came in alignment with what God wanted to do, God was able now to bless her and get the prophet that he desired, and she got the son that she desired, and all the other children that she desired, and God blessed her. But the two had to come together. Hmm. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 21, then the Lord visited Hannah, and so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. And the biggest thing I see that Eli did with Samuel was he taught him how to discern the voice of God. Remember in the middle of the night, he says, Matt, have you called me? Did you call me? He said, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. Well, did you call me? I just heard you again. Did you call me? He said, no, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. He said, well, that happens again. He said, say, dress the Lord. Lord, I'm here. Your servant hears. He was teaching him how to hear from God. He was hearing the middle, just a young child. He was hearing God's voice. That was a prophetic anointing. That man changed Israel. Amen? Changed Israel. Hmm. He served as a judge. He could, tell, he could tell Saul, when he messed up, your anointing is all done. God's going to choose another. 
He would go to the house of Jesse even when David was tucked away, when he wasn't even in the meeting. And Samuel said, it's none of these. There's somebody else. Who else do you have in your household? He said, well, David's other. You bring him here. He said, that's just one. He poured his own oil over him. He could see even when the person wasn't there. Why? Samuel tapped into God's ways, not just his acts. So what's God doing today? I believe that the Lord is moving us from our mundane attitudes to the ways of God to be able to seek him at another level, to be able to see, to produce in our lives the things he wants us to produce. Religion is a killer. And I'll say it this way. It was the one spirit that Christ really had to, I mean, really came against Christ and tried to stop him, tried to, you know, ultimately remove him in every, every, every stance. It's an amazing that, uh, that back then, if you were healed by Christ and you gave a testimony that, God, that the Christ had healed you, Jesus healed you, you could be excommunicated from the synagogue by the Pharisees for giving God glory. Are you here? Basically, what we have to do and what we've been taught in religion, that is, is, is of great value to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And I've, I remember growing up in religion, we were told you're humble, you're, you're just a dirty sinner, uh, um, you're a sinner saved by grace. I don't know how it works, but they, I mean, they, they had it all down. And, and, but you're, you're just a dirty sinner. And, and what it was intended to do was to humble you, come yourself humble before the Lord. Amen? But that's not the total story. Because James also says that when we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, James chapter 4, verse 10, says, humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. The church has done a great job at humiliating and humbling, but it's done a poor job at raising people up and exalting them. What happens, one sees the ways of the Lord, the other sees the acts of God. The acts of God being a salvation say, listen, you don't change your act around. You don't start doing stuff. We're seeing what you're doing, all your acts. You don't clean up your act uh, and get with the Lord. I got news for you. You're lost. But you see what the ways of the Lord says. So you know what I see in you, not what you're living now. I see something. God wants to do something great in your life. That's exalting. I see God wants to change for the better. And he wants to bless you in such a way. He wants, so wanted to bless Hannah with that child, but Hannah had to get the thing down right. He had, she had to, it was only her. She was the only one that could produce Samuel. God knew it. She didn't know it. When she just gave into that, then God showed her, you're the only one, Hannah. I need your genes. I need your womb. I need you to bring forth a Samuel. We never see that in individuals. You may be the only one that God wants to bring forth and use you for a particular reason. But we're too busy humiliating you as a church instead of exalting what God wants to exalt. What would it be like if we had a church? Can you imagine this? If we had a church, instead of stumbling over what the person is or what we see them doing, what instead we could look beyond that to the ways of the Lord and see what God has really purposed in that person's life. Amen. Look beyond what, this, what the devil's doing or tempting or the thing, what they're doing or whatever. And look beyond and see the goodness of God in, in people and be able to pull that forth. What would our church look like? What would our community look like? What would our nation look like 
instead of stumbling over what people are not and tell them what they should be, what if we could look into that person and begin to confess what God wants them to be so they can grab hold and begin to transform into the promise that God made? God wishes none to perish but all to have eternal life. We got that salvation thing down, don't we? How do they get there? How do people get from being afraid in the world what's going to happen next? When the pandemic's going to take me out or whatever thing is going to kill me? How do we get from that to exalting what God and the gifting that God has placed in them? Certainly not changing their conversation. We tried that. Oh, you just, that's a bad confession. Make a good confession. They can make a good confession all day long. But if it doesn't come from the heart, if it doesn't come pull out of the gifting and the anointing of God, that confession is not going to do anything until they first confess Jesus. That's the only confession that's going to make a difference in your life is to confess him in everything. What if I could give you in one sentence, well, not maybe more in one sentence, but what if I could give you one scripture, just one scripture that would encapsulize the entire will of God for your life? Would you want it? Come back next week. No, I'm just, I know. That's an old joke. It's all wore out already. Praise the Lord. There is. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Are you ready for this? This is what we're commanded to do. Do this every day, and your life will begin to reveal God's purpose. Are you ready? Yes. Life changing. Real simple. It's very simple. Not complicated at all. Amen? Verse 16. 1 Thessalonians verse 5, verse 6, 16 says, rejoice always. Next thing is verse 17, it says, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, it says, and everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ for you. Let me go over it again real quick. I'm already out of time, but let me just go over it real quick. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Everybody say it with me. What's number one? Always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Not for everything, in everything. You don't give thanks for tragedy. You give thanks in tragedy because you know God's going to restore. Amen? This is the will of life. If we took this in an attitude, God would be able, again, our Hannah prayer would come in line with God's desire and God could bring it to pass. Our persistent Hannah prayer would fall in line. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, everything give thanks. This is the will of God of Christ for your life. For you. I should say for you. Amen? Amen. Can I help anybody this morning? Amen. One more time. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. Let your joy be con- a continue. Let, your- let joy be your continual feast. Make your life a prayer. And in the midst of everything, be always thankful for the Lord. Uh, for this is God's perfect plan uh, for you in Christ Jesus. Any situation, this is my notes, any situation that I cannot give thanks in is an indication I'm losing the battle over my thoughts. Complaining is I'm losing the battle over my thoughts. And if we lose the battle over our thoughts, guess who's winning? Because everything starts out with a thought. Can we do that? Praise the Lord. Hmm. There are scriptures for persistent prayer. There's also warnings for persistent prayer. Jesus said this. He says, 
not to pray in vain repetition as the heathens do. Me and I talk about prayer. He says, but persistent prayer. Uh, we see the example of Paul. Other examples. Jesus said he gave an example in a parable. Uh, the woman going to the unjust judge. He says, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. And there's a couple of different other parables. That Jesus says the same thing. So I guess uh, persistent prayers that keep asking God, but only in line with his will. Not vain repetition where we just mail a bunch of words, we just read something off a page and so on and so forth, that becomes our prayer. No, that's not prayer. Amen? Amen. What God's been showing me lately, he says, the praise is as much prayer, to get in his presence and praise. We can make a petition in, in, in a couple of minutes. We can per, per, make a petition, but come to him in praise. Yeah. Another thing I've been sh- schooling our, our, our prayer warriors in is how about naming the attributes of God? We saw David did this. I mean, uh, Paul did this. Uh, I mean, all the apostles did this. They would name the attributes of God at the f- forefront of any prayer that they asked. So we have all the methods. We have all the outlines. But this, I gave you this scripture this morning in 1 Thessalonians. Amen. Praise the Lord. Help anybody this morning? Yes. Amen. amen. What is it again? What's number one? Rejoice always. What's number two? That's number three? Excellent. Give yourselves all an A this morning. Praise the Lord. How many got something out of the word this morning? Praise the Lord. Excellent. I ran out of time while, about a minute ago, two minutes ago, something like that. Anyway, praise the Lord. So, uh, but I wanted to get that in, the, in there. I had more to give you this morning, but it was, I think we'll get, we have enough to uh, chew on. Amen. I pray this morning that the message is heard in your, in your ear and your spirit. Amen. And it's taken to heart and it can actually add to your life. Amen. Everybody in this room, everybody I'm talking to on live stream, okay, everybody, God has a purpose for your life. Amen. Whether you realize it, whether you're living it or not. Amen. So, how about Covenant Word Church? What if we did this? What if we started exalting along with God, shouting the praises of God? It's going to take a little bit of eye of faith and a prophecy <laughs> and see it into the future. But what if we looked at people, not for what we see on the outside, but what we look for people or what the gifting and purpose God has created them for? Amen. And try to focus on that, even though they might annoy the heck out of you. <laughs> How many of you ever get annoyed by people? Nobody? Uh, drive to Miami. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> drive to Miami. That's all I can say. Right there, and you're all laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Road rage and everything else in Miami. But, but no, what if we took it differently? Because everybody has a gifting and purpose. When I say that, people back off. Well, he's just looking for workers in the church. No, I'm not. Matter of fact, our workers in the church are not workers, they're ministers. According to the Bible, there are no volunteers in the church far as I'm concerned, the workers, ministers. The ministry of helps is called by Paul a ministry. Helps is everything that doesn't uh, encompass the five-fold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, which Paul also wrote. But he said, no, he said the ministry of helps is a ministry. It's, a, it, it's what keeps this church moving. We really saw the value of the ministry of helps during this pandemic, haven't we? Oh, I was so thankful for people we have operating the cameras, doing these different things, live stream, or keeping our, our websites going, keeping our, our, our apps uh, functioning. 
when everybody was afraid and, and, and buttoned down for the pandemic, we were here every time working all the time. Our center stayed open, everything stayed open. I was so thankful for the ministry it helps. They didn't do it out of volunteers. They didn't do it for a job. They didn't do it to even make points with God. They did it because they're ministers, servants of the living God. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen.